Welcome to COVID Conversations, Life in the Time of Corona. This is a podcast from the Ohio State University's Center for Folklore Studies. In it, we hear from artists, scholars, and humanities professionals in Ohio in conversation with their counterparts elsewhere in the world, talking about how their work, their thinking, and their creativity has been affected and informed by the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Rachel Hopkin, and I'm a folklorist and radio producer based in Columbus, Ohio. And for this episode, which we're recording remotely on the 9th of October of 2020, I'm delighted to welcome two dancers and teachers of Argentine tango. And before I go on, I should probably admit to being an Argentine tango dancer myself, but only a very, very basic one. Nothing like my guests today, who are Jessica Tupa, who is based in Dayton, Ohio, and Monica Maria Fumagalli, who joins us from Milan, Italy. Jessica Tupa is a psychotherapist with a background as a dance artist and educator and in fact she has a degree from the Ohio State University's Department of Dance no less. She started dancing Argentine tango several years ago and pre-COVID traveled extensively with her partner for tango within the US and more recently in Europe. Jessica uses her movement background to support holistic well-being both in her psychotherapy practice and in her own life. During COVID, Jessica has spent some of her time teaching her Tupaco Tango Bar method online, and we'll be hearing more about that during this conversation. Monica Maria Fumagalli studied many forms of dance before taking up Argentine tango in 1990. She has gone on to teach and perform the dance internationally, including in the USA, where both Jessica and I have been fortunate enough to take workshops with her. Monica also established a tango school in her native Milan. In addition to her dance practice, Monica is an accomplished scholar who has published and presented widely on the history and culture of Argentine tango. Monica Maria Fumagalli and Jessica Tupa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So how are you both doing just at the moment? I take a metaphorical temperature check, not a literal one, even though we've all had many temperature checks <laughs> recently. Monica, do you want to go first? Well, I'm fine. In Italy, things are quite good with this situation that we all are living in, in the world. And we, we started a little and very quiet tango to study, not to dance. And I'm fine. I'm fine. Jessica, how about you? I'm hanging in there this time right now. Of course, we have a lot of political upheaval getting ready for our presidential election. and that is sort of distracting but i continue to try to take one day at a time and just be as healthy as possible and i really miss tango you know with partners as an outlet a lot so i'm going to start by asking you to tell me both a little bit about your experience of argentine tango and what role it played in your life pre-COVID. So Monica, tell me a little bit about what did your life, Argentine tango life, look like, say, in the last couple of years? Wow, that's a question, because I think that my life is all built up around tango, because since I discovered tango in the 90s, everything I do, my relationship, my studies, all is around tango in a way. Of course, uh, this is still the same, even with COVID. COVID didn't cut tango out of my life, but it's present in a different way. Before, we used to dance maybe three times a week. 
I say we because I'm working with my partner, Yatna Diallo. He traveled with me in the United States. Maybe you remember about him. Yes. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we have the school together here in Italy. We were working almost every night and going to dance three days a week. Sometimes we organize like conference meetings or good afternoon together to talk about tango literature and so on. Everything in our life is related to tango. So it's a big difference with this new life. Italy obviously was one of the countries that was very early affected in a bad way. Can you tell me a little bit about how it kind of made its way into your consciousness as something that was going to have a severe impact? Well, it took a time because we closed everything on the 24th of February. I will never forget this day because we had to close everything. And when I say everything, I really say everything in a country that it's not China. I mean, for us, it's very different to accept that someone comes and say, you don't go out starting from tomorrow. You don't go to buy food, I don't know, you don't go to dance. It was shocking. I think it took maybe one month to me personally to understand that these things uh, would have continued for a long, for a long while. It took you a long time to realize that it was going to be a long-term thing. Yeah, yeah. Long and very sad, uh, shocking. Right. I'm going to come back and ask you more about that in a moment. But first of all, I'm going to return to Jessica. Jessica, tell me about your involvement in Argentine tango pre-COVID. Tango has really become my primary artistic dance outlet at this point. And Marty and I teach a little bit. Marty is my life partner and right now my teaching partner. We are not, you know, world-class tango dancers the way that Monica and Yatma are but we teach regionally and dance anywhere from two to four times a week, you know, outside the home. And I had been taking a class in Cincinnati. So it definitely is and was a huge part of my week and our life together as a partnership. So when we saw that the closure was going to happen, um, I think the word shocking that Monica used was good. It took a while to get used to the idea like that we weren't going to be doing this for a while. <laughs> I also had just started working with a student who was sort of being a guinea pig for this tango bar that I've been working on very, very slowly for a couple of years. And I had just started the process of being really proactive about developing this exercise method. So suddenly we were no longer allowed to meet in person and continue with what we had been working on. Before we go on, it might be worth telling the listeners a little bit about the dance of Argentine tango, because I think a lot of people, when they think of tango, they think of what you see on things like Strictly Come Dancing or Dancing with the Stars is the famous program here, where it's often a part of the ballroom repertoire and it's very flashy and it's very much for show. But can you tell us a little bit about how Argentine tango manifests as a social dance? Monica, do you want to take that first? Well, uh, in any popular dance, you can dance socially and then 
you can represent it on the stage. So the change is, is due by the place where you dance. It's normal. I mean, it's not just for tango, but I think that social dance is just to get your own pleasure, to enjoy yourself and your partner, of course. And uh, all the other forms are to, to enjoy other people who are spectators. And that's the big difference. I've been working on the stage for many years. I still work occasionally on stage, but now I'm much more dedicated to social dance. I prefer that. It's my pleasure. And Jessica, do you just want to tell us a little bit about the kind of way that um, one engages in Argentine tango as a social dance activity? In general, I think people may or may not take classes. Hopefully they would. <laughs> there is Practica, which is just what it sounds like, of course, a tango practice where people may gather together to work on skills. And then the milonga, which is the tango dance party where we all gather together. And it's a little bit more formal, mainly in that there is a social etiquette that goes along with the dance and the music. But the social dance isn't about sort of what you can do as much as the experience of doing it and about one's own pleasure in the dance and in the music, and then, of course, the connection with the partner. One of the things I want to draw attention to is the fact that even though you both have life and dance partners who are one in the same person, you don't just dance with that person, right? When you go to a social Argentine tango activity, you're dancing with many people. Yes, of course. Definitely. So... Jessica, I'll come to you first with this question. How did you react to suddenly not being able to dance? Were you still dancing with Marty or did you just stop altogether? Or, or what happened when COVID hit us? I'm trying to think back in like the chronology of things. So Marty and I, for some time, you know, had been really trying to make sure that there was a time that we were practicing just for ourselves prior to COVID and then during COVID, but it got very frustrating <laughs> to only dance with each other uh, at some point. I think it goes back to that idea that we were just talking about that this is a dance in which you get to have this experience with different people and you get to experience maybe the same piece of music with different partners. And when you don't have that kind of improvisation, for multiple reasons, it could become tedious. And at a certain point, I just kind of veered off and continued to do my own dancing because I always have to dance. That's part of my being. And Marty kind of went off and continues to study the music. And we just recently started practicing again together after probably two months of not practicing together. So it made a really big impact on our tango together as a partnership, not in a very helpful way. I mean, maybe the break will have nice outcomes because definitely as we come back, I certainly appreciate him much more, but it's been weird. And Monica, what about you and Yatma? <laughs> well, you know, the problem is that the situation was frustrating. Of course, we could have danced together, but we didn't have the joy, the energy to say, okay, let's make a tango. You know, we live in the center of Milano. 
all around us was silence, pure silence. And then, you know, of course, we, we had to keep in contact with our students. We didn't give any online classes. I don't like that part. But we organized meeting and talking about tango and many things related to the school. But apart from job, we had no the energy and we had no the joy that the milonga gives to you because, you know, tango is perhaps the only promiscuity form that society is able to accept. So this promiscuity in dance, we need that part too, to go to dance with other people and to enjoy with them. This part is totally absent at the moment too so no we didn't dance a lot and of course both here and in Italy and I think probably even more so in Italy we had these hard lockdowns where you were only supposed to go out for essential errands and nothing else and so that meant none of us were around many people unless you happen to live in a house with lots of family, which I don't think is the case with either of you. So I'm curious to know what it was like not being around other bodies. Did you miss just having people around you in an embodied form? Jessica, do you want to run with that first? I'm really glad that you brought that up because for me, that was one of the most profound disturbances about the in the beginning, when the lockdown happened, Marty and I actually live in separate spaces. And he was very worried about being ill and making other people ill. So he decided kind of overnight to quarantine himself, even from me. And that was hugely significant because I am a very physical person. And it was already hard enough not to be allowed to see my friends and hug them, see my dancing friends and dance hug them. <laughs> now my only other human connection was gone. And it was very disturbing to me to be physically alone in that way for two weeks until he felt that he had quarantined himself to safety. It was kind of bizarre. I had my two kittens that I had just adopted. And so there were lots of kitten hugs happening, but it just kind of felt empty and tragically sad to go without that human connection. Did you do anything other than hugging your kittens to offset that? I mean, did you find yourself making numerous trips to the supermarket or anything like that absolutely I was horrible at quarantining myself you know I'm very good about the mask thing and all of that but I remember that it was just starting to get warmer here at that point coming out of the winter and I'm a big walker and I would be walking and I would see other people walking you know quite a ways away and I would have this internal like compulsion to run to the people and hug them while at the same time, a terror of the virus. <laughs> so I was very conflicted. <laughs> and like, I would just look at them and feel like, I want to come and talk to you. So, and I would, I would find some ridiculous reason to go to the grocery store pretty much every day, just so I could be six feet away from another human and, you know, see them and hear them, even though I didn't know them. I totally get that. I did a lot of the same things that you were doing by the sounds of it. Monica, what about you? You and Yatma do live together, right? Yes, I live with Yatma and I think that without Yatma it would be, I mean, impossible for me to stay alone 
because I don't know if you know, but in Italy we had not the possibility to walk for three, four months. So we had just the possibility to go to the supermarket. That's why people was inventing every five minutes to go to the supermarket because it was crazy. And for two months we had the obligation to stay inside 200 meters far from our home. But we were one of the first countries in this terrible situation. So they, I think they made like a social experiment with us. <laughs> they, I don't know. They tried things. And with the Atma, you know, I cannot say that it's easy to be locked down for months with your partner being together all the time. That's terrible too. But Without him, I would have died. I mean, I can't stay so much time alone without communication, physical, you know, even if it was with no joy, because as I told you before, no energy, tragical situation, but with him at least, you know, it was really a gift for me to share this time with him. So, Monica, you have this tango school in Milan where you and Yatma were teaching regularly and you decided not to do online technique classes. Why did you decide not to move any classes online? Because that is what a lot of um, people in other artistic contexts have done. I respect totally all my colleagues that are working with online classes, but I personally I don't feel that I can teach tango in a virtual form. For me, what I teach and how I live tango is physical. I mean, I told myself, if this situation will not change, I will try to find something different for my life because I can't conceive online tango. Then actually we opened again the school on July for one month because students really wanted to dance after the lockdown. And then we stopped again for the summer and we opened on September. But at the moment, Yatma accepted another work, a different work for six months in another city. So I, I opened the school alone until January. What form is that taking? Are you able to offer group classes? Yes, now we are able to teach to group classes with a lot of uh, rules. I mean, just a few couple, we cannot change. I mean, the couple is fixed for all the courses. We have to wear a mask. We have to have big space inside the couples. I mean, we have uh, some rules to follow, but we can teach. So I have many groups of six couples. I put the number of six. I decided six couples is good to manage for me. They feel relaxed. I feel relaxed and so on. What was it like the first time you went back to teaching in person with couples in the class? <laughs> we started again on July, so it was four months of stop. In that moment, it was strange. Especially because personally with the Atma, we used a lot to change couples. I mean, our school is known because we don't ask for fixed couple. We like a lot to incentive people to move, change partners. So it was like to change radically our idea of tango at school. Right. 
So now everybody is dancing with the same person that they come to the class with. And this is what we were talking about earlier. That loses a lot of the joy of Argentine tango because you're not constantly meeting a new person and, and dancing with them. Yeah, or mix. I mean, that for the milonga. But even in the class, I mean, when you give lesson, it's a very important thing to relate yourself with different bodies, different markations. So it's important for learning too, it's important. And it's a different way. It's for a while. I think everything will come back. Not the same because life is changing. Tango poetry say that too. No, <laughs> Life is changing all the time, but we will go back to the dance to different partners. Right, right, in time. Jessica, you decided to teach online, right? You had been teaching in Cincinnati, but you started teaching on your own online. Can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to do that and then how you went about it? Sure. So just to be really clear, I had historically taught with Marty in Cincinnati, but neither of us were teaching an ongoing class when all of this happened. But as I had said earlier, I've been playing with this Tango Bar idea. So Tango Bar initially came out of being a trained dancer and knowing that some of the things that I think are fun and kind of playful in tango, I find to be a lot easier because of having training. Can you give me an example of, of what you mean by that? Absolutely. So of course, there are some different styles of Argentine tango. And I have to kind of defer to Monica as a historian to please correct me if if any of what I'm saying is wrong, but there are more traditional styles and then there are kind of newer styles. And one of the things that Marty and I like to do a lot together is this style called Nuevo Tango, which sometimes you break out of that very, very close embrace with your partner to do a little more active play, weight sharing in different ways and kind of moving about more than you would in the more traditional style. and that might require me as the follower or the leader to maybe balance on one leg for quite a long period of time. I mean, always the follower must have good balance, but the way that Marty and I like to play when we dance, it's quite athletic. And sometimes when we would be in practica, people would come up to me and ask me, oh, how do you do that? Or how do you do this? And the dance educator in me wants to share that, but really... I'm able to do those things as a function, partly of how I've trained my body outside of tango. So I would show them how to do that, but I would also give them like an exercise <laughs> to do, to work on maybe strengthening or balance or, or something. So over time, I realized that this could be its own workout. So tango bar is taking the principle of a ballet bar, the exercises that a ballet dancer would do in preparation to build their body for the dance, only instead of using ballet movements, I'm using very basic movements to support the things that we do in tango. So we're working on strength and alignment and posture and core strength and developing ankle and foot strength and good coordination and articulation in the feet and legs. It's very much a hybrid in support of making the dance easier and more pleasant for oneself and also for the partner. 
And before COVID, you were just working with one other person on developing this method and kind of using this person. It sounded like a little bit like a guinea pig, but in a nice way. <laughs> totally a guinea pig. So, so I had done some Tango Bar workshops, like very short, maybe a few weeks at a time in Cincinnati. And I felt like I really needed to flesh it out and have a guinea pig that could tell me how they were experiencing it. And the guinea pig was actually this lovely young dancer in Columbus. She is very passionate about Argentine tango and really just kind of willing to explore and learn as much as she possibly can and was giving me just really good feedback. And one of the things that she found was that her general just awareness in the dance was improving when we started working together, which was wonderful because that was sort of part of the whole point. That was completely cut off when the quarantine happened. So a lot of my tango friends in these other locations, Columbus and Cincinnati and Lexington, Kentucky, kind of all over the place, everybody was just craving tango and missing it so much. And all of us sort of like grieving, you know, not being allowed to dance with each other. And I thought, well, we can't be together, but, you know, I'm, I'm being forced to start to put my psychotherapy practice online. I can also start doing this dance class online. And I, I want to completely support Monica in her decision because I really hate teaching dance this way. <laughs> like the last resort completely. And like you, Monica, as having been your student a little bit, I know that you get informed in your own body what's going on with your students and there's like this intuition and we can't have that over I can't have it digitally and it's incredibly frustrating I can't really give people corrections and make suggestions that part of it is sort of on hold yeah 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 and you know I think that this situation of course is sad and tragic for every one of us but people like us who has worked with the body all the life long. I mean, I've been dancing or working with gymnastic and everything related to the body since I was 15. So it was impossible before COVID to conceive my days, my life without movement. It's a very physical sufferance. Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. And all that much more so because Argentine tango is a partner dance. If you were doing ballet, I guess, you could work on solos and stuff. But you can't, you know, as the saying goes, it takes two to tango and one can't do it without the other person. No, but it's not just tango. I mean, I think that for me, maybe activities of the body, even if I go, when I went to study classical dance or Pilates or anything else, it's not to stay at home and make gymnastics. Of course, I can do that. I make my exercise, but it's different. I mean, it's not the energy to go out, to prepare yourself, to share with people, to, to hear the voice of the guide, my teacher, my friends. It's a social life related to, to your body activity that is uh, suddenly cut. It's terrible, and for everyone, it's terrible. But for persons who built up their life around body activities, it's like a mutilation, you know? I have to agree with that completely. The online version is like a shadow of the real thing. 
but I also remember a couple times when I was teaching that I was feeling very down and depressed and isolated and sad. And like what Monica was just talking about, like I think as an embodied mover person, you experience all these emotions in your body. Yeah. But I did find that sometimes offering the online classes were a way of making myself accountable because I also, you know, I'll do my exercises, but it doesn't put me in the mental place. So by having to kind of go there in my mind to present it, that helps me a little bit to shift my mood. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that we can say, okay, let's do our exercise. We have to do this because it's good for the body. We have to make the body, but it's totally different to go out and move, to go out and dance, to make the experience of freedom of movement. And that's what we are missing, what we are not able to practice now. Okay, so you can do the exercises and that's all very well, but it's nothing compared to the actual experience of dancing. No, alone or with partner. It's totally different. As like, I think, for someone to go out in a park and run free. I don't like so much to run, but I can understand and feel the happiness of that. I think that's a really important point and one of the major deficits of the situation with COVID. Yeah, yeah. Have either of you found any, I don't know, benefits or if not benefits or at least some kind of compensations during COVID? Any ways in which it's changed your relationship with the dance for the better? or change your feelings about the dance for the better, or change your understanding about the dance? Is there anything good about it at all? <laughs> uh, um, Rachel, no, definitely <laughs> no. No, and I don't believe one word to people telling me stories like we will be better because we had the time to think about. If you don't take the time to think about in your life. You are stupid. You don't need a thought <laughs> to think about. Oh, no, I'm angry about that. I'm so tired. We are worse now because we are like beasts closed down in a lockdown for four months and we want life with more, I don't find the word in English, rabia. Spanish. Rage? Is it rage? When you are angry, you know? Yes, rage. And it's so aggressive people now. And I can feel it in my city. And uh, why? In in what we are better? I can't find one simple thing. Um, Jessica, anything? <laughs> any, any, <laughs> so I, I completely hear and I don't disagree with any of that. I want to say that. I've been trying to find what I'm calling COVID silver lining, which are, is there anything that is unique about this situation that I can find that's a benefit that is because of the situation? And I will say that I feel like I am having more time to spend with my partner that is downtime, that's relaxation time. And that has a lot to do with the fact that we don't have any tango. So much of our time was spent driving to tango. <laughs> and we have a little bit more time to just sit 
with each other, but there's no substitution for being able to do this social dance together in the dance environment like we were talking about. I love what you were saying, Monica, about people thinking and being aware and, and you know, if you're not thinking about your life, then maybe you might want to try doing that. I will say, though, that I think that that part of this dance, specifically of getting, you know, stepping in front of a new partner and feeling the warmth of their body and hearing their breath, smelling their scent, and just all of the things that happen when you're close to another human, that that was one of the most intriguing and interesting parts of this dance for me. And I think that I will appreciate that even more when we get out of this. And maybe before I took that for granted and you know, occasionally it might not be pleasant because the person had too much garlic or whatever. But I think that I will hopefully remember, like, this is a special thing that maybe we don't want to take that for granted, being in, in the close proximity to another person with respect and acceptance, which is also part of the stance. So that's something that I guess I'm looking forward to. And then the other thing is just, Sometimes I feel a little more space to think deeply than before, but I also have been in transition in my life and work life for a couple of years. And so that may only be partially COVID related. Of course, I respect that uh, if someone uses this situation to go deep inside, it's a good thing. But it's something uh, that, again, Jessica, you are doing that because you are used to look for this kind of sensation. You like to go deep inside. Otherwise, you will never do that. With COVID, the same. I mean, COVID is not bringing us inside. This situation gives to some of us a little more time. So the reflection could be why we don't take more time for our life when we, we realize that it's better. But I don't think that people are going to be more deep, more pensative because of COVID. No, no, I, I cannot see that in the street now. I'm negative. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Monica, I completely hear what you're saying. And I think you're right. It, there is definitely a tension. And yeah, definitely. I hear, I hear that. But Monica, I'm still striving to find something positive in this. And, and I'm going back to what you were saying about how COVID allows for more time to do things that you might already be engaged in in some way. So you're already a scholar, but am I right in thinking that because of COVID, you're embarking on a new period of study? So at least that's something good, right? Yes, I'm, COVID brought me again to be a student uh, because I, during the COVID, I decided to apply for a PhD in the University of Milano. And I knew a few days ago that I was approved. Excellent. <laughs> so on November, I will start to study and to work at my project. This project, of course, is concerning Argentina. I will work on the Buenos Aires of the post the 90s. The Buenos Aires of the post-dictatorship, right? Yes. And uh, I will work to cultural construction and to 
re-meaning of places of the city after the experience of uh, dictature. And uh, tango is included, of course, because the 90s are the big uh, rebirth of tango. And it's a very special period for tango because it's the first time in uh, tango history where intellectual people really put themselves in tango. So before that, it was more of a, a popular dance of people who weren't so intellectually focused. Is that right? Well, let's say that intellectual and academic culture didn't uh, really accept deeply tango poetry, for example, or tango like a phenomenon of dance. Starting from the 90s, intellectual, I think they start to individuate in tango a reconciliation for the country in general. So it's a very special rule that tango had during the 90s, and I'm going to investigate this. That sounds fascinating and very intriguing and exciting, and I'm so excited for you. Me too. That sounds like a great thing to be getting underway in this period. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So listen, I think we've reached the end of our discussion, but I want to thank you both so much for taking part today. You've been wonderful. Thank you, Rachel. It was a pleasure and I hope to meet you soon both personally again. Thank you, Rachel. I also hope to see you both in person and this has been an honor to be part of it. My two guests again were Monica Maria Fumagalli in Milan, Italy, and Jessica Tupa in Dayton, Ohio. You can find out more about the work and dancing of both of my guests in the notes which accompany this podcast. COVID Conversations Life in a Time of Corona is a production of the Center for Folklore Studies at The Ohio State University. It's funded by the university's Global Arts and Humanities Discovery Theme Grant Initiative. A great many people have been instrumental in making this series happen. Too many to name here, but I would like to express special thanks to Paul Kottheimer, Cassie Patterson, and Nick Spitulski. I'm Rachel Hopkin, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.